Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. And that's Acts, A-C-T-S, not A-X, A-C-T-S. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew, and Acts is in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It was written by Luke. And uh, part of his life, he studied or he traveled with Paul in his missionary journey. So he wrote this. And it's an inspired historical account of the early church. And so we'll pick up with where we've kind of been starting. And it's Acts 2, chapter 1, where Jesus had told the disciples, uh, I'm sorry, uh, in Acts chapter 1, he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. That he said that you'll be endued with power from on high. That word endued means clothed. That it's just something that it will go, that uh, the, his presence, his power will go with us. And that it's a transforming power. It's, it's a difference-making power. It's a story-changing presence. And so it will go with us. And so uh, he'll go with us. And he said, wait until that happens. Wait until that happens. And, and so, uh, you know, just to see what God's going to do. And so let's get ready. Let's, let's pray first. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for your presence. Jesus, do in us whatever it is you want to do in us. Thank you for being here and for this for this group of people, Lord, that I love dearly, that we love each other, and that you've called us to serve you together, to impact this community together, to journey together. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, everybody say all the believers. So they were, they were all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So they're they're having this moment take place that Jesus had told them about on more than one occasion. There was a last instruction that he had given them that he said, look, he said, "Don't, don't leave Jerusalem until this takes place. And so they're experiencing that. And then Peter gets up and he begins to preach. And he says later on in, in Acts 2, he said, this is what the prophet Joel had talked about. That in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Up until that time that the Holy Spirit had not been given to all flesh, that he was, you know, that he set upon the prophet, upon the priest, and upon the king in order to enable them to do the things that they were called to do. But in this new covenant, when we give our lives to Jesus and we receive Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is that, you know, first of all, he comes in, he transforms our life. And then we have the opportunity to walk into his power if we allow his presence to fill our lives. And so it's something that's, that's available to any of us, to any of us that have given our lives to Jesus and to see what takes place. And so he said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he said, your sons and daughters, that they'll prophesy, not just the men, but the men and women will prophesy, that they'll declare the goodness of God and declare the works of God. And so he went on to to say those things. Well, then as he finishes preaching in verse 37, it says this, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise to you, to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. 
Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. I really like that part of the message right there, that he continued preaching for a long time. You know, it was just, man, Lord, just give me that same spirit that was upon Peter. You know, anyway, some people go, you, you have it. You don't need to pray for it. Anyway, so Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation, from the culture that you're surrounded with. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All the believers devoted themselves. Everybody say devoted themselves. So what do they devote themselves to? First of all, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Say fellowship. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them that day to those that gave their lives to Jesus. And as a result of that, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And again, some people would say like, man, I, I wish we knew what that was and we would devote ourselves to it. Well, we have it. The New Testament is the apostles' teaching. It's what they were sharing with them. So you can devote yourself to it. And whenever the presence of God is there, that we should feel compelled, drawn, urged, pulled to God's word, to what the scripture has to say, what the Bible has to say. Not just as a book that we read out of obligation, but as a book that has the breath of God on it, that the words are living. And it's like they, they come off the page as we read and they, and they speak to us and transform our lives and reveal to us who God is. Sometimes people read things like, well, it says this. And sometimes they're either not rightly dividing the word of truth and sometimes may not understand the context in which it's given. But that doesn't mean that the things that are on there aren't God's word. And then it talks about that we'd be drawn to that and that, and that you know, people's lives, their stories are changed, all that. But it says also here that as a result of the Holy Spirit showing up, that it says this, that they devoted themselves to all of these things. And the other thing they devoted themselves was to fellowship. Now, that doesn't seem like a very spiritual thing. Oh, Pastor Rick, man, I just feel really close to God. I was taking place. Man, I spend so much time in the Word. I spend a lot of time praying. I've never had anybody say, spend so much time in the Word and so much time praying. And I'm really fellowshipping with godly people in a way that I never had before. In all of my Christian life, I've never heard anybody include that as an act of God, of something that's taken place in their life, that they feel devoted to that. Now, you know, a big word that we use today in church circles and other churches, organic, and I'm not against organic, I like organic. Organic food, you know, organic nachos, I mean, just all of those things I, I like. But, and I also like, you know, when things take place in church and relationships organic, but the problem is, is that that's become such a Byword, such a big word for us that we've lost sight of the word that the scripture talks about, and it's not organic fellowship, it's devoted fellowship that's committed. You know, I've shared with you, you know, many of you know my story that, uh, you know, and you'll hear it regularly. Somebody, somebody say, well, sometimes you share the same story. Well, I only have one life, unless you want me to make up stuff about myself, like I was robbing a 7 Eleven the other day, and Jesus said to me, okay, well, that's not a true story, but if that helps you, just think about that for a minute, okay? So, but, but the truth of the matter is, is that, I, you know, I remember from a, when I think about devotion, this is what it sounds like to me. Now, there have been seasons in my life that I've been devoted to the gym. I'm not in one of those seasons right now. I haven't been in one for a while. The most devoted I've ever been to the gym in my adulthood, as I've, I've shared before, is that when we were in New Mexico, there was an Air Force base. Cannon Air Force Base was there. It's now a special ops base. And a friend of mine, one of my best friends, was the IG at that base, and he was a big guy, and he wanted to work out. Now, the problem is that his body clock has him getting up at 3.30 in the morning, and I'm like, 
what have you done that would cause your body to do that? Have you like angered the Lord? I mean, I don't know why, you know, I mean, so I'm like, no, I'm not getting up at 3.30 in the morning. You can scare me, but you know, I mean, heaven would be better than that. And so, uh, well, it'd be better than a lot of things. But so, um, so, but I, you know, so we talked about it. And so finally we agreed like 6.15 to 6.30 would be a good time. And so, you know, the, 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 because I wasn't devoted to it initially, and this is, I know this is wrong, you know, I don't feel very manly when I say this. Matter of fact, I'm like, men, you know, good men don't do that. But I did this. There'd be some mornings where I'd hear a knock at my door and I'd kind of, you know, shuffle out of bed and open up the door and go, yeah, hey man, <laughs> I don't feel like going today. And so, and so he had this like really disappointed look on his face. And he was a big enough guy that I didn't want to take the chance of seeing what disappointing him on a regular basis may look like. So eventually I got to the point that because I didn't like that disappointed look on this large man's face, that I became devoted to working out, that like 99% of the time when he showed up to work out, I was ready to go. I was ready to go. So we would go work out because I was devoted to it. That meant that there were days that I would get up and I didn't feel like doing it. There were days I would get up and I just, the thought of not being able to engage would cross my mind, like, am I really going to be able to get into the workout, that type of thing? No, no, no. I pushed through all of those things because I was devoted to it. And one of the first signs when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon these believers, on this group of people, that they became committed to was community. It was gathering together in fellowship. It, it wasn't always organic. It didn't always just happen. It wasn't always like, we're just kind of hanging out, and then all of a sudden God begins to move and do things. I love those moments. I've been around when those things take place. But that's not how it always is. That there are times where we show up, where we're a part of community, where we do things together, not because we feel like it, not because it's convenient, not because we don't have other options, but because we're devoted to it. Because it is a part of who we are. It is a part of what we do. And so in the early church, evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence being there is that they began to be devoted to this fellowship, to this community that was taking place with each other. So number one is this, evidence of his presence is they were devoted to community. It was not an insignificant thing. It was, it was put right up there with prayer and spending time in God's word together. It was, it was put there with all of that, that it was connected with all of that, that Jesus calls us to that and beckons us to that. He beckons us not just to his presence, but to the presence of each other, to engage in community and fellowship with each other. So that's number one. Let's keep reading here. So it says, all the believers devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They worshiped together, I'm sorry, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, here it again, again, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together, everybody say together. There's that word together again, at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So 
again, there was this gathering together took place, and, and they met together in the temple. They didn't even have their own facility, but they would find a place. It was actually the Jewish place of worship, since many of them had a Jewish background, that at that time they were still allowed to gather together, but they would gather together and worship the Lord in this. But not just together in a public place, but they would also, they would, they would gather together in, in small group settings and meet together in those kind of things. And so there was this thing that took place, if you're taking notes, number two is, is that they experienced community in their gatherings. It wasn't just a place that they came and just heard somebody lead a song, and they just kind of worship, and they heard somebody preach a message, and just kind of sit there and listen to it. No, and I, those things are important. It's important that we're fed the word, but there was something else that took place. There was an engagement that took place in their gatherings, in the thing that happened. Now... I think about, you know, the, the large gathering. It, well, let me just, let me go back and say this, that one of the things, and maybe it's always been present because in Hebrews 10, 25, that the writer that encouraged Christians don't quit meeting together. But I don't know if it was as bad then as it is now. I hear a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian, but I don't really think I need to go to church, you know, and I, you know, I can know God out on the force. Like, well, yeah, you can, you can do that. You know, I mean, you can be married and never go home, but let me tell you something, it's going to create some issues. Right, babe? I mean, if, you know, if I didn't show up, I mean, yes, it's, I mean, as, as annoying as I can be in her presence, that I can be annoying out of it too. I mean, it's just so, you know, I have that gift. And so, so uh, but there's this, this more than just that, there's this exchange that takes place, not, not, just, not just before God, but with each other, and opportunities, you know, to, to engage, to to have real relationship, to talk and to serve and all of those things. You know, you know sometimes you know, people, they'll go to a church and say, well, it's just, just had clicks. Yeah, I, I noticed it. They do have a click. It's the usher click or the pre, preschool click or the kids ministry click or the life group leader click. You saying those are clicks? No, I'm talking about what's happening is that those are people that are serving, that have committed, they've got community together because they know life with each other other than sitting in a chair and hearing somebody else talk. That they, they serve. 1 Corinthians 12 says that we should all, that we should all, you know, find our gift and serve and use it and value the gift that God's given us and value the gift that he's given other. And the word that King James uses, so there'll be no schisms in the body. You know what another word for schism is? Clicks. So there'll be no clicks in the church. The best way to stop clicks in the church is for everybody to know what their gift is and use it to serve the lives of other people. Clicks dissolve in that presence. They can't exist. And sometimes when people that aren't doing anything say, well, it's just a click there. Can, can I, I wrote this in my notes at the top. I said this up here. I love these people and they love me. So I'm saying that to remind myself and to remind you that I love you. But if you're, if you're not doing anything and, and wherever you go, you feel like there's a click, maybe you're the click. I love these people. <laughs> and, and, and they love me. And so maybe, maybe, maybe you're the click. No, man, we're called to community to do life together. And you say, well, how do we do it in this, in this large group setting? Well, it's harder. It is, I, you know, it's, this is still necessary because there are things and exchanges that take place here, you know, uh, that 
And so it, it can happen in our gathering like this as we worship together, as, as we serve, as we engage. You know, one of the things, and I, you know, and I'm, I, I love the local church. Not just this one, but I love the local church. I, 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 know, I know it's a mess, but you know, I can relate to it because I'm a mess. Hell yeah, they're just, you know, they just do, you know, they, they say they love Jesus, but they do a lot of dumb things. You're talking about me? Because that's me. Yes, I'm, I'm that group. But, you know, so I love what we get, I'm glad I get to be a part of here. We get to be a part of each other's lives. You know, at our 902 services, it's been growing. And it's not to the point that this one is yet, but I don't think it's long off from that. It's probably three-fifths, you know, 50 to 60% of what this service is. And it's been, it's been growing, and so it's just a matter of time. Well, the 1202 service, it's, it's the thinnest service. It's grown a little bit. But we were thinking about, you know, what are things that we could do? Because I'm not a guy that gets up and says, well, hey, I, you, you need to go to another service. Because I know a lot of people go, I'm going to go to the service I want. If I can't, then I'll just find a place where I can go to that service. And so we're just glad you're here, man. Probably, in all honesty, if I wasn't the pastor and I was going to come to one service, it would probably be this one. Now, if you're listening, I love the 902 service. I love the 1202 service. I just like the energy of the 1032 service. So, you know, it's just, there's a lot of people who I like the opportunity to serve and that kind of stuff. So, for what that's worth. But we began to, we said, what are, what are things that would compel people? What need can we meet in the 1202 that will get people there? And so we, we feed them. And we feed them. And so... All of a sudden, I hear people in your mind like, they get food in the 1202 service? I've been getting ripped off. And so, and so we'll, you know, some weeks we'll serve corn dogs or we'll have pizza or burritos and that kind of thing. And one thing I love, you know, we've talked about this, right? That we'll see, we'll see this and sometimes a person will grow up and, and grab, grab a corn dog or six. And, and so, you know, and, then, and they're, you know, they're eating, but they're not in a hurry to go. They're engaged in this conversation that takes place. And just the chatter, the noise out there, it's such a healthy sound. The, people, the Bible calls it, in Colossians, Paul called it, may your hearts be knit together in love. It's, it's a process that the Holy Spirit does. There's a knitting together. I mean, it takes place in my life. I have people in here, like I, I know I saw James and Lori Roach come in here this morning. There are people that have been in my life for decades. Our hearts have been knit together. I mean, when we first started, I, I told you this in the early days of the church, we did growth track in our home, but we also did a life group in our home. And so I remember in those early years, you know, in the, and I, I know when I start saying, because I don't, there's certain people I see, and, and if you're here and I didn't see, then I may not mention your name, but it's, it's not because I don't value, but like I know that, you know, the lilies were a part of that, and the braces were a part of that, and um, you know, the Jeffers were a part of it. The Enixes were here, the Greens, uh, you know, the Munns. I know they were part of our, of our early group and that. Just people that, that I've known just for all of those years. I remember when we started the church and we started that group, our daughter was in the seventh grade. Our middle son was going into the ninth grade and our, or is in the ninth grade and our oldest son was in the 10th grade. And we were transitioning from a place of security. Even though I'm from here and my heart longed to be here that, you know, in New Mexico, we were in a secure place. We weren't struggling anymore financially. We had this new beginning, and so my father had passed away a year before we started the church. And so my heart still, you know, I mean, still missed him in a, just a, a way. It was just hardly a day went by where I didn't think about him or just 
go back and, you know, read a story about him or just, just think about him. And my mom was in, she was in kind of the early to mid stages of Alzheimer's and she was disappearing a little bit every day. And so I had these people that were new to me and I was new to them and we were, we were going through this, I, our family was going through this season. We moved to a new place. It was, it was a challenge to us in a way that we had no idea and it wasn't because of the church. It was just pulling up our roots and going someplace different. A few years later, my mother passed away. A few weeks after that, Tina's mom passed away. And then, you know, the pressure of everything and just some personal challenges. I know that our marriage during that season was, went through the hardest place it's ever gone through. And then our daughter got married. Ten months later, we have our first grandchild. A few years later, our, our middle son gets married, and then they have two kids. And then our oldest son, David, a few years later, he gets married. And, and now, you know, so now we've got, we've got eight grandkids. But I say all that to say that where we were then and where we are now, I mean, we're, in the one hand, we're still the same people, but, but our life has just transformed. There's just been this huge difference, and every season has changed. Everything is different. But I think about these people that knew us as we're transitioning in. And through each one of those seasons, all of those people that I named, all of them that I named, I still trust to share seasons I'm going through, things that, to talk about when even years later, the thought of my dad not being physically in my life at times or still an ache that misses him, I could sit down and talk with any of them. How many of you with grown-up kids have discovered that even though your kids are adults, that you haven't stopped being their parent? And I don't mean that on their end. I mean, you don't quit caring about them. You don't quit losing sleep over the decisions and the choices that they make. And anybody that talks about how great their kids are, I've discovered this. If that's you, give them time. They'll make a liar out of you. All of us, all of us, but there are people that in those seasons I could talk with, or if I was failing as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a friend, those are people that even today, if I see them, we don't get to interact with each other on a weekly basis, but because of the groundwork that was laid then, we can still talk, and it's because that community that's taken place there, that the Holy Spirit doesn't just provide, he compels us to that. I've said this before, I used to tell, I used to tell my kids this. I said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I used to tell students this when I did student ministry, that when God wants to do something in your life, often he'll put a person in there. That relationships are often strategic. When he wanted to correct King David, the Bible says this, that the Lord sent Nathan unto David. He didn't talk to him in a dream. He didn't just have this experience out in the wilderness by himself. No, God put somebody in his life to do that. And often people withdraw themselves out of pain. They've been hurt or wounded. They, they withdraw themselves out of fear. And the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in each one of us that heals us. He's not called any of us to be hermits. 
None of us. Now, are you saying that everybody has to be an extrovert? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this, none of us were called to do this alone. But I know, man, some people have been hurt in church. Some people have been hurt in this church, man. If it's me, and I, I'm capable in my inconsistency, in my busyness, in my lack of awareness, and sometimes in my own immaturity or insecurity, I've hurt people. And man, if that's you, I, I am so sorry. I promise you it's not purposeful. I promise you it's not a reflection of how much you mean to me. It just reveals I need to grow. But the enemy uses those things to cause people to withdraw because he knows that all of us have limps that we walk with. And because of that, we need people to help us along the way. I've never heard anybody say, well, man, I just had this encounter with God. I'm reading the scripture more than ever. I'm praying more than ever. I've heard people say that, but they've never had this. And I'm just fellowshipping in community with other believers more. I've never heard anybody say that. They've never said that. And yet in the New Testament, at the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And one of the things that it mentions over and over again, that they one anothered a lot. They loved one another. They served one another. They prayed for one another. They gave to one another a lot. There was a work that God did in them to compel them. If you're taking notes, number two is this. They experienced community. Not just gathering, not just hearing, not just spectating. They gathered and engaged in community with one another because the Holy Spirit compelled them when his presence was there. He didn't push them away. He didn't say, you don't need to gather together with other believers. You don't need that. It, it, he pushed, I mean, he pushed them towards relationships. And so they experienced community there. Let me do this last verse and we'll, we'll move on. So it says this, it says, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their, to their fellowship. Everybody say their fellowship. To their fellowship, specifically he added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Here's the third thing is that community wasn't just experienced with just anybody. It was, it was experienced with other believers. It goes back to that, show me who your friends are and I'll show you your future. The Bible says this, when you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. And you know what it says if you're a companion of fools? I, I used to fill in the blank and say, well, if you're a companion of fools, then you'll be foolish. It's not what it says. It says if you walk with the wise, you'll be wise. But if you're a companion of fools, it says this, you'll suffer pain. You'll be hurt. I've said before that I want to be a good husband. My dad was a good dad. He loved me. And I don't mean to besmirch his name. I'm very fortunate as a father. But I don't think he knew how to be a husband. His, his father passed when he was 15. His mom passed a few months before that when he was 15. And so he's doing the best he could. But I got married to Tina and I you know, loved her. But I know how to be a good, dad, a good husband. So I had to find people around me that love their wives in a way that I want. You know who I didn't hang out with? People, I hate my wife. I don't want to be part of the He-Man Woman Haters Club. <laughs> I 
If you're struggling to love your husband, hanging out with, with some woman that's just divorced your husband and is talking how much better it is out there without some man holding you back, that's not the answer to your marriage. That, that God puts people around us, that we need to have people that call us and stretch us to a higher level, to a greater place, to the calling that God has on our life, in our marriage, as parents, as men and women. Part of my hope this week with Awaken is that as men show up, that they're going to be stretched to follow God in a way, not just because they feel in that service, but because the impact that God has on their life is greater than a feeling, but it becomes something that they're devoted to and they do as a result of that. That's the calling of the Holy Spirit and what he leads us to do. And so, so we're called to do that. We're called to do that, to, to have that in our life, and then to be that for somebody else. I, Tina and I, when we, the first few years of our marriage, there was a couple that were friends of ours, and we would go get coffee with them. And we would get coffee. Every time we go get coffee, they'd begin to talk about the church, begin to talk about the pastor, and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I'm not mature enough yet to kind of redirect the conversation, so I engage right in it, yeah, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then we go home, and I'm like, man, I just feel like I need to take a bath. And she goes, well, you do, but if you're talking about the conversation, then yes, let's not do that anymore as well. That was kind of a joke. Anyway, so... So we would say, okay, we're not going to do that again. And we would go out and the same thing would happen. And finally we kind of looked, we can't go get coffee with them for a while. Because apparently I'm not mature enough to keep from entering into those kind of conversations. Because it impacted me in a negative way. I just realized that there's just certain things in my life that I'm, I'm either not mature enough in yet or whatever that I have to be careful who I give my heart to. Are you saying you can't love everybody? No. My circle's big, I love everybody. But I'm talking about who my heart is knit with, connected with. That Now, there were things I could learn from that couple in other areas. But in this area, I couldn't engage with them until we grew. Why wouldn't until they grew? Because I can't wait on them. They may grow before me, they may never grow in that area. They may not feel the conviction I left convicted. Like, dude, what is wrong? You can't do that. It's God's stuff. You're sitting there criticizing it like it's yours. It's not mine. So we would leave. We'd commit. We're not going to do that anymore. We'd go out again. And there we go again. Community, fellowship that God has called us to. People say, well, I got, I got my clan, my tribe, my this, my that. You know, I, I've got... I've got this, the group that I hang out with. Good, I'm glad. But here, here's the thing is that where do they take you in your walk to the Lord? Where do they take you in your challenges? Do they, do they grow you? If you're a man, do they grow you as a husband? If you're a single man, do they grow you in your walk and how you deal with the opposite sex? Are they growing you? Or are they affirming and planting you in the thing that's held you back for so long? Are they helping you walk free of your addiction, whatever that is, or whatever the thing is that you turn to in the middle of a crisis? And it's not always substance. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's food. It's all sorts of stuff. But God gives us community, and not just any community, this community of believers. What we ask the first question is, is that who are you journeying with? No, are you journeying with anybody? And two is, who is it? I love the fact that in this community that 
We're all different. I don't want everybody to look like me. I don't want the same, you know, uh, demographic from an age and season of life standpoint. I don't want the same ethnic group. I don't want the same economic standing or, you know, any of those things. I want this variety that we have all this in common, and that is we all realize without Jesus we're lost. And the community begins there, but as we engage the people that God has put in our world. And sometimes we're praying, God, man, God, I, I, I need you to help me, you know, grow this area. I need you to help me in my marriage. And, and you know, I pray about it. And I got this dude over here that keeps bugging me about it. And can you just do something? And he's like, that's the answer to your prayer. Right there. That person. Because community was experienced with other believers. It's the Holy Spirit compels us. You know, one of the things that they did together is that they took communion together. And it says that it's something they did regularly. And so I want, us, I want us to take communion together today. And so if, when you came in, most of you got one of these, but if you didn't, these are the communion elements. If you'll raise your hand, then our ushers are gonna come and hand you one of these out. You're like, well, Pastor Rick, this isn't normally my church. Can I take communion? If, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you're, if you're part of the body of Christ, if you're a Christian, a Christ follower, yes. Well, I'm not perfect. You're, you're in the right place. But are, are you a Christ follower? So if you just raise your hand and, and we'll take this together, so don't take it apart yet. I, I know some of you, you, you take it apart and then read the instructions. You're my people. And so, uh, but just hang on to it first. There's a thin layered top. If you'll peel that thin layered part off first and hold on to the bread for just a minute, that, that wafer, hold on to it for just a minute. Jesus is getting ready to be arrested. He's getting ready to be taken to the cross and, you'll, and on the, the night that all of this takes place, he's not with his family per se. He's with this group, with this community with this, this group of 12 that had been with him. You talk about church hurt, one of the guys had betrayed him. That just before this moment had left the dinner to go offer him up to his enemies. And the other guy that was there that had sworn allegiance to him was going to deny him later in his greatest moment of need. I'm so glad in the garden that Jesus didn't say, they don't deserve it. Do you see how they've hurt me? I've laid my life down for them and they don't even appreciate it. No, he stayed committed to the Father. Which meant that it, even like in Peter's life, that just because Peter had hurt him and disappointed him didn't mean that Peter wasn't supposed to be part of his story from that moment on. But while they were together as Jesus was with this group that he says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. Now, if you're new to Christianity, you're like, what is this? Well, it's kind of an object lesson that Jesus gave us to remind us of what he's done for us. That his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And so something we do as Christians, you know, regularly to just remind us 
of what he's done. And so it says that he broke the bread. And he gave thanks for it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. He's broken for my brokenness. For every broken thing in my flesh, Jesus has been broken for. For everything that I've broken. For every time that I've messed up. For for every time that my brokenness has hurt somebody. Or got in the way of what God wanted to do. Or stood in the way of how he wanted to use me. Jesus was broken for that. For every time that I felt unworthy to be used or to show up to church or to be a part of God's plan or to impact, he was broken for that. I think about that moment. I look so broken there. And the Holy Spirit whispers, you are, but he was broken for that moment. Let's give thanks. Father, thank you for Jesus' body being broken for me. I receive what he's done. I receive this moment and I thank you for the fact that you were broken for me in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread. You can peel the other top off. to take this and eat it for this is my body. So then, and he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you, I love that, each of you. Nobody was left out there. Each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So this cup reminds me that God keeps his promises. That even when I'm not faithful, that he is. And that his blood was poured out to remind me that the promise that the Father would forgive me, that it's a real promise. It also reminds me that there's coming a day. That this community here, this community of believers, and not just here, but all over the world of Christ followers... That it doesn't end when we leave this earth, but someday we'll have this again in the presence of Jesus. And it won't be me leading it, it'll be him that's a reminder to us that the reason why we're there in eternity with him and people that we've known here on the earth forever is because God keeps his promises and because Jesus laid down his life for us so that we could be forgiven and free. Not because of my goodness, but because of his. It's a reminder to me that I sin well, but he forgives great. Let's hold the cup up and give thanks. Father, thank you for everything this cup represents. Jesus, I'm so grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Lord, I want to grow and I'm grateful for your mercy. And I pray that we do that, Lord, that our lives be just yielded, surrendered, not, not out of fear of rejection, but out of gratitude because of your surrender for us. And so we receive this now in Jesus' name. Let's take the cup. <clears throat>